Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Each week, we explore the world of data by talking to the people shaping its future. You'll learn about new data technology and trends and how data teams and processes are run at top companies. The Data Stack Show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. You can learn more at rudderstack.com. Welcome back to the Data Stack Show. We have another data term to dissect in today's show, and that's the term data ops. We've talked a ton about ops on the show and how you know ops is being adopted into the data space using a lot of the principles from software engineering. But we're going to talk with Prukalpa from a uh, a company called Atlan. Super interesting. Costas, she comes from a background where she's solved massive worldwide data problems that have focused on things like poverty or access to clean fuel and water. And I am so excited to hear what that was like, because those tend to be, you know, different in so many ways from a lot of the things that us who work in data companies in B2B SaaS, you know, sort of in the venture backed world face. And I'm sure there's probably some similarities. So that's what I'm going to ask about. How about you? Yeah, I'm very, very interested in chatting with him about metadata. I know that to build like a platform like the one they have, you have to build some kind of like, let's say, metadata layer there. And I really want to see, first of all, how mature the technologies are in order like to collect all this. And also, what do you do with the metadata? And the reason that I'm so interested with metadata is because, you know, you have the data, you have to work with the metadata, and then you can go to the semantics, right? <laughs> <laughs> Always the semantics. <laughs> yeah, I guess, though, it's going to get complicated now with the metasphere or the metaverse and yeah. talking about metadata. What's yeah. that going to mean? Yeah, I think that's going to be a very hot topic next year with all data and in the industry. I, Outside of jogging, it is an important aspect of like working with data. And it's good uh, that we start uh, hearing more and more about metadata because it means that like the foundations of the technology is starting to be uh, solidified. So we can start working like on the next iteration of what, how we can deliver value. So we're talking about metadata, like from a business especially perspective, I think it's a very good indication of the maturity of the space. So that's good. I agree. Super exciting. Well, let's dive in and learn more. Yep. Let's do it. Prukalpa, welcome to the Data Stack Show. We're so excited to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Okay. Let's start where we always do. We'd love to hear about your background. And I'm excited because you've done data work for some really interesting internationally, you know, sort of internationally known organizations. So can just tell us about your background and what led you to uh, creating Atlan? Sure. Yeah, so I've been a data practitioner my whole life. Prior to this, my co-founder Varun and I, we, we founded a company called Social Cops, mainly with the mission of saying, hey, you know, large-scale problems in the world like national healthcare and poverty alleviation, they don't seem to be using data and it really feels like they should be using data. Uh, mm. So let's do something about that. And our model very quickly turned into that we became the data team for our customers because we were typically working with folks like the United Nations or the World Bank or the Gates Foundation or several large governments who did not have data teams or technology teams for that mm. matter. So we sort of just became that data team, which is really where I learned everything that I learned about building and running data teams and 
how complex and chaotic they can get. So because of the kind of work we were doing, we were sort of lucky to be exposed to a wide variety and scale of data. At one point, we were processing data for 500 million Indian citizens and billions of pixels of satellite imagery, which all sounds like they're really cool projects, uh, but, <laughs> sure. uh, but they were not <laughs> really cool on a daily basis. Like the day-to-day was a nightmare. You know, I, mm. I feel like as a data leader, I have seen it all. I've had cabinet ministers call me at eight in the morning and say, the, the nightmare that no data leader wants to be woken up with, which is the number on this dashboard doesn't look right. <laughs> and then I've, you know, done that like wild goose chase of calling my project manager who called my analyst who said, hey, it looks like the pipeline's broken. And, you know, then call my engineer and he pulls out auto locks and says, no, nothing looks wrong. And, you know, it takes us like four people and eight, you know, eight hours to figure out what yeah. went wrong. I have sat in the top of our terrace this one time and cried for three hours because an analyst quit on me this one time, exactly a week before a major project was due. And he was the mm. only one who knew everything about our data. Like he, like, and, and there was no way I could deliver this project without this analyst. And that's sort of just, these kinds of things just brought us to this breaking point, right? If you, like our team was spending 50, 60% of our time dealing with this chaos of which data set should I use for this analysis? What does this column name mean? How do we measure annual recurring revenue? You know, and the number of this dashboard is broken, like stuff like that. And we realized we couldn't scale like that. And so we actually started building like this internal project that we call the assembly line. And the goal was basically to say, our team is super diverse and we want to find a way to make our team work together effectively. We actually tried to, long story, like short, like we tried to buy a solution. We failed at buying a solution. We were forced to build a solution. So we actually, Atlin was never born to build, like to sell as a product to anybody else. We actually built it mm. ourselves to make our team more agile and effective. Over two years, uh, we ran 200 data projects on the tooling that we built at that time. Oh. And in that time, we made our team over, over six times more agile. And we realized that would build tools that were more powerful than we had earlier intended, right? Our team went on to, we did things like we built India's national data platform, which the prime minister himself uses. It's one of the largest public sector data lakes of its kind. But what was really cool about that project was it was built by an eight member team in 12 months. It's also one of the fastest of its kind. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sort of realized that these tools could help data teams around the world, hopefully be a little bit more agile and effective. And that's when, you know, Atlan was born. We said, you know, can we use these tools to help every data team in the world? Sure. Okay, I have to ask, this is so interesting because we love hearing about really diverse experiences with data. And when we think about subjects as big as you know fighting poverty and then apply sort of a data-driven mindset to that, could you just give us a little bit of insight into maybe like what's a specific poverty-related project that you worked on and you know what data were they not using what data were you able to introduce and how did that change the project that's just so fascinating sure yeah so in some ways actually i think social problems are some of the most complicated data problems that can exist you know actually in business because the outcomes are a lot clearer right it's you want to improve revenue and you want to reduce costs versus like you know when you want to improve the quality of life of a human being, you know, like it's a, mm. it's a much harder, like, you know, just like problem to model. Right. And, and we saw this, maybe I'll, I'll give you one example with, with a project that's super close to my heart. We partnered with the, with the national government, which was basically rolling out clean cooking fuel 
to about 80 million below poverty line women across oh, interesting. Uh, across India. And this was actually so just to give you context on the problem people basically in or women in India and in rural areas and below poverty line they actually use sort of this natural cooking fuel in their in their house well, firewood basically which which is equivalent to smoking like 400 cigarettes an hour or some crazy number wow. like that. It is, it's, it's crazy. And so obviously the government wanted to solve this. They were rolling sure. out like clean cooking fuel programs. So these were gas cylinders that were free that were going to these below poverty line women. And, uh, you know, we, we rolled out the program and, you know, there was like initial operational monitoring and, and you know, we, we put in place data systems for that. The program rolled out really fast and really well. And then we started hitting this challenge, which is that, while the penetration of gas cylinders was increasing significantly, cylinders need to be refilled, right? So, and typical, the stations for gas, for gas cylinders were only in urban India because mm. there was no penetration or demand, right? And the government was creating this like very rapid demand because of, of what they'd done. Now, this was a super interesting problem because the person who runs a gas station is actually an entrepreneur. So it's a decentralized model yeah. and it's privatized. Now, the entrepreneur obviously cares about this being profitable, which makes sense. On the other hand, the government wanted to create access. So what the, the problem statement that they gave us was, or the minister at that point told us was, I would like a gas cylinder station to be within 10 kilometers of every single Indian's home. And so now you have this like really unique problem where you're balancing accessibility with profitability. And so how do you do that the right way in some ways, right? And so for example, what we ended up having to do, it took us a bunch of iterations to do this. Like, do you do top-down allocation? Do you do bottom-up allocation? You're talking about 640,000 villages. So what we ended up doing was we actually uh, turned it into a geospatial modeling problem, brought mm. together from about 640,000 villages got about 600 data sets in, so population, affluence, like, you know, a, a bunch of those parameters. We layered market data on top of that. Where are the existing gas stations and cylinders? Like, where is where is there already access? And that basically, you know, got out of our clustering algorithm. And then the rest of the, of, of the villages, we basically ran a clustering algorithm. And there was a threshold on profitability. So essentially, you could basically say, hey, this is the population, this is the affluence. And so this is what we think people are going to be willing to pay. And so every cluster was actually a different size in some ways in terms of like the distance that it was covering. And then use that to basically figure out where you should go open these next 10,000 gas stations across the country to actually solve for both profitability and accessibility, right? And so those are just some examples of the kind of yeah. sort advanced of modeling kind of challenges that we have to deal with. Yeah, no, super fascinating. It, that's really helpful. It is wild to think about that because, I mean, just off the top of my head, I mean, you mentioned geospatial, but, you know, there's the economic component of it, right? So, you know, economic modeling, the demographic component of it, the socioeconomic component of it, which is, you know, pretty wildly different data sets. Interesting. Okay. So you're dealing with issues like that. Let's talk about what does Atlan actually do? So like what were some of the, you, you talked about, you know, okay, you get the call from someone who says the dashboard doesn't look right, but like, what does it look like, you know, for a team to use Atlan and how does that make them more efficient? Sure. 
Yeah, so let's jump in on some of those problems I talked about, right, which are pretty commonplace in most data teams around the world. And if you think about these problems pretty deeply, you realize that the place it stems from is actually this fundamental reality of data teams, which is diversity, right? Data teams are diverse. To make a data project successful, you need an analyst, an engineer, a scientist, a business user, machine learning researcher, analytics engineer, All these people are very different. They have their own persona types. They have their own DNA in the way that they work. They have their own tooling preferences, and they also have their own limitations. Um, And while this diversity in some ways is our biggest strength, it's also our biggest weakness because a ton of the challenges that I talked about, like come from the fact that all these people need to sort of come together and collaborate, but they all have different contexts that they're operating in the ecosystem. And so at Ashen, we sort of see ourselves as a collaboration layer for the modern data team. Every time there is a function inside an organization, right? Engineering teams have a GitHub. Sales teams have a Salesforce. What does it take to create that true collaborative hub for a modern data team? Knowing that the only reality in the data team is diversity. So that's so the so the place we operate in is if you think about the fundamental modern data stack in some ways, which is your you have data ingestion and warehousing and transformation and BI. That's what I think of as the data stack. Atlan sits on the metadata plane or the control plane layer of the data stack. We bring in metadata from all of your different tools in your ecosystem. We bring that together, put it together to essentially start creating intelligence and signals, make it super easy to discover data assets and and so on and so forth. But most importantly, we actually use this to start driving back better context into the tools that you're working in daily, right? So for example, when I am in a dashboard or a BI tool, I want to know, can I trust this dashboard? But when I, but the truth about whether you can trust this dashboard is actually in the ETL tool. And it's in like, did the pipeline get updated today or not, right? And, or did the quality check run and did it pass? That's the metadata that Atom brings together. We make sense of it. We construct auto lineage. We basically make make sense of your entire data map in some ways and create that single source of truth. But then we take that back into tools like BI tools, into you know Slack, into collaboration hubs, into GitHub, into tooling like that to actually make the day-to-day workflows of teams significantly more simple. Mm-hmm. Prakalpa, I have like a few questions because you have mentioned some very, very exciting topics. But I'd like to start from the people. You mentioned like quite a few times about like the diversity and the complexity of the data teams, right? Now, us coming, let's say, from uh, the more like technical side of things and the data engineering, when we talk about data teams, we keep on forgetting like all the different stakeholders that uh, are part of these teams, right? We focus a lot on the engineering persona, talking about like data engineers and maybe sometimes like also also analysts. So uh, can you give us like a, a bit of like, based on your experience, like a description of how a data team, like a function, a functioning data team, like in the realistic one usually looks like and what are the personas involved there? Wow, that's a loaded question. I wish there was a way a typical data team functions, right? Okay. And I think that's the reality that, you know, every team is diverse. Like it's mm-hmm. every team is unique and teams also evolve over time, right? And so I think this is a classic, like we've seen right from, you know, fully centralized data teams to fully decentralized data teams to all kinds of hybrid structures in the middle, right? We're seeing, mm-hmm. you know, 
you know, we're seeing, we're, we're increasingly starting to see like sort of, for example, some functions like data platform and, and enablement, which in my mind is a new form of governance, right? Like there's, there's centralized functions and then there are decentralized functions, which is, you know, pod structures with analytics engineers and analysts, you know, and I think what I've realized over time is that there are, you know, four or five different ways that you can structure your data team. I also am a very big fan of not fitting people to JVs or fitting people to structures mm-hmm. instead actually building a structure that works for your team. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is that there's a lot of overlap, right? If you think about like the skill sets, like the skill sets, like the fundamental skill sets from an analyst to an analytics engineer, to a data engineer, to a machine learning engineer, that you're actually talking about overlapping skill sets. It's not, you know, it's not black and white. right? Yeah. Um, and in a lot of ways, it has to do with the person in some ways. Like I've never met a perfect data scientist. Like, you know, I've never met a perfect, like I don't think that exists. And so mm-hmm. I'm actually a very big fan of this, this method, methodology of actually starting at the fundamental skills and building roles around people. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, in some ways, the the structure of your data team gets get structured on the basis of your leaders, right? And how does that, how do your, de- how do your leaders interplay with, with each other and what are their skill sets? Mm-hmm. That's, that's I, I think, I, you know, I, I wish more people would adopt it because I think that's really the only reality in a, in, in, in a data team. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So, you know, like companies usually do not start with a data team, right? Like when you incorporate it, you start like a new project or a new company, you don't really have the resources or even the need, right, for for a data team. There is a certain point, like in the life cycle uh, of the company, that you will start needing that. Based on again on your experience, because you mentioned like having like a core set of skills and then building on top of that. Like, what is this core skill set that is required for the people to create this first data team in a company? Yeah. So I believe that the way to think about this, and I think every startup founder, like, in fact, I actually have a blog on this, which is, you know, how do you, how do you go about prioritizing this? Because I actually get a ton of questions from like startup founders who are like, oh, we want to invest in a data team. Where yeah. do we start? Yeah. Um, and what I typically ask them to do is actually say, okay, I think you should think about this from a strategic perspective in terms of what do you want your data team to achieve in the first place? And so to give you an example, and I think this needs to start at like, what is this biggest strategic priority of the company? Because let's say I am starting a hyper-local delivery startup or, you know, something like, you know, a car delivery, like you know, an Uber equivalent, for example, right? Maybe what's, what I'll start with, maybe the most important thing when I'm starting on day zero is just operational analytics. I just need to know, you know, how many rides are we serving and, you know, things like that. But right after that, probably, or even, you know, at that point, probably the most important thing that for the business to ends up actually becoming the, the matching algorithm, which is actually a pretty complicated data science problem, right? So mm-hmm. on day zero, you're not just starting at analytics, you're also probably starting with data science and investing in data science so that you can actually solve, like data science is the fundamental part of your product in your business. And so on day zero, when you're investing in your team, you're probably going to try and find a leader or an initial team. You'll probably start with like an analyst and a data scientist who can stretch. And then you'll build out those two teams like that. On the other hand, let's say you're a software startup, 
and you're you're selling SaaS, for example. Now, when you're selling SaaS, operational analytics is almost what you need to work really well up until you get to like a relatively mid-sized company in some ways, right? Like you want to invest in product analytics, you want to invest in sales analytics and sales ops. And so then in that case, for example, you probably just want to invest in a really strong analytics leader, maybe someone who comes with domain expertise in SaaS, um, because SaaS is complicated in the way that, you know, the, the domain itself works, right? And you don't need data science at all, you know, up until maybe much later in the company when you decide to build a product using all the data that you've collected in your SaaS product, right? For example. And so I think that is the nuance in some ways, which building a data team and a structure, it, I think you need to start at the first principles of what you're trying to optimize for as a company. And then from there, figure out what are the skill sets that you need your data team to have on day zero. Yeah, yeah. I think you gave some like super, uh, super valuable advice here and it's a very interesting perspective on how building teams like... <laughs> I don't know how many times I've seen, you know, SaaS companies at an early stage and be like, okay, uh, we are struggling with attribution, for example, let's find a data scientist to do like some magic. Of yeah. course it fails at the end, but anyway, that's that's the yeah. topic of another episode. <laughs> that, that, that was great. Like, I really, I really appreciate like sharing this information with us. So you mentioned at some point that using, let's say the platform that Atlan is today, you became more agile, right? And agile as a term in in software engineering uh, has like a very very specific, let's say, meaning. And usually we the easiest way like to explain what agile is is like you give like the counter example of waterfall, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's like in software. What is agile in data? What does it mean? I become more agile with working with data. Is it the same thing as software, or is it different? Yeah, so I mean, I think at a high level, I think we thought about, you know, as we thought about like, how do you measure agility in some ways? Like we we sort of thought about this as, as velocity in, in some ways and, mm-hmm. you, know, how, you know, how can we get stuff done? But also at what level of quality can you get done? At what level of, how can you reduce the iterations that you need in your work? When something changes, change requests are a really important part of like a data team's job, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when someone tells you, oh yeah, that dashboard looks great, that metric looks great, but uh, can you just like make this one change to it and add this, pull this one number additionally to it? You know, only a data person knows how difficult it is to like go and get that one number to pull into the dashboard, right? Uh, and so how do you, how can you build your, your, your entire pipeline in a way, in some ways that can give you that kind of reusability and, and reproducibility to be able to like manage change requests in some ways, right? So I think all of those are components that go into agility. But to answer your question on, is agile the same as software engineering? Absolutely not, right? Software engineering is a very different practice with the fundamental, actually the one fundamental that's different between software and data is that in software, you humans create code. So that fundamentally changes the equation because in data, we can't control the data that we are working with in most cases, right? And I think that itself is like a fundamental paradigm shift between software and and data. Second, in software, often you already know what you're broadly going to build and, you know, what you have to do. Like it's it's much more execute. It's much easier to measure execution, right? And quality of execution versus in data, Many problems are exploratory in nature, 
right? Like, let's say it's an exploratory, like why is our ARR number dropping? Like that's an exploratory analytics project. Like how do you know? And solving that, like it's really difficult to scope a problem like that on day zero, right? And so I think those are things that are fundamentally different between, you know, software and data. And I think that's why it becomes very difficult to just say, let me pick agile as a framework. It works in software engineering and I'm just going to bring it bring it into into data and so i think a few things that for us were were useful were we we basically tried to take best case practices but not just best case practices from software engineering right we also took best case practices from you know like like lean manufacturing and devops and you know like there are so many like data itself is such an interdisciplinary team so so in some ways you can take like learnings from a bunch of or product teams for example like something i'm really really bullish about is this idea of going from like almost like a data service team where you're just like servicing requests to a data product team where you're, you know, a product team, for example, is building for your end users. The Your success is measured on whether your users at the end of the day use the product. Mm-hmm. The same way, like, can you actually think about your data products, right? And can you measure yourself on success rather than just like closing out, you know, a service request? So I think all of those components are things that we should learn from as a data community in some ways and build what our practice of agile or, you know, people call it data ops should look like in in the ecosystem. Great, great. That's super interesting. And again, another very good uh, definition. And it's good to make, let's say, clear the differences because especially like, you know, like many people, especially like data engineers, they are coming like from software engineer background, right? And they have been exposed in like very specific semantics around what each thing means, right? Like for example, agile. So understanding like the differences between what it means to be agile when you work with data and what it means with uh, when you work with software, I think it's it's really important if we want to increase, let's say, the quality of the work that we manage to do at the end. I'll keep like in the same, let's say, approach of trying to redefine terms. And you mentioned data ops, right? Again, ops is not something new as a term. Like we have DevOps, we have SREs, we have RevOps, we have... DevOps. DevOps, DevOps, exactly. (laughs) So... (laughs) What's data ops, right? Why, Why do we, and why do we need it? Yeah. So I think at a higher level, I think the way I think about data ops is it's it's a it's really a, a principle or a almost like a way of doing things. I know it's caught in like a lot of it's it's a buzzword now and it's caught a lot of attention and there's a lot of products that claim to be uh, a data ops platform and a data ops product and like all these other things. But I I actually don't think that that's what data ops is right. Like data ops is fundamentally about saying how do we take, you know, the principles of agile and DevOps and lean manufacturing and, and all of this and bring it into a fundamentally collaborative practice that helps data teams work together effectively. It's built on the foundations of collaboration, reproducibility. You know, how do you ensure that your, your data assets are reusable and reproducible? It's built on, you know, foundations like, you know, self-service and self-serving, right? How do you create something that is that where you're reducing the dependencies on the core data team. Uh, I think those are some of the elements of what data ops means and and can create. So for example, in our case, like we actually created like something that we call data ops culture code, which is about, you know, what does 
what does implementing a data ops culture truly mean inside organizations? And I think that's the way we need to think about these concepts. I think, you know, be it data ops or be it the data mesh, for example, these are all design principles. These are ways of doing things. These are not, technology is just a part or an enabler in solving these problems, but it's it's a broader principle that, you are, that we're working towards. All right. So... I think enough with terminology, let's get uh, into the, the technology now. So, all right, we have figured out what data ops is, why we need it, how we build such a platform. What's, what do we need in order to... Actually, no, before we go to this question, I have another question, sorry, which I think is going to help us with, with this question. And this question is about the data stack. We keep talking a lot like lately about like the modern data stack. We have like a panel here trying to define what this thing is, why it is modern, when it stops being modern and it's not modern anymore, you know, like what's going to happen in the future. Postmodern. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's, I mean, I'll try to avoid like the controversial like conversations around it, but we need a stack, right? Like in order to work with data, there are like some architecture that needs to be in place, some minimal kind of pieces of technology that we need to work and operate. So based on your experience, two, two parts of this question. First, what's like the minimum set of a data stack that a company needs to have in place? And second, what is the minimum, let's say, data stack that you as Atlan need in order to go and operate and deploy your uh, data ops platform? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so I think the way I think about it is is broadly a bunch of original, like as I think about the data plane or the data stack itself, I broadly think of it as a few building blocks, right? The first around just first collecting your data in the first place, right? This is where, you know, your you have data ingestion, you have, you know, CDPs and you have essentially what does it take to actually even bring your data together in the first place and collect the data that you need. I think the center stone of every data platform in some ways is the storage and the processing layer. And there's a bunch of different architectures that you can use, but it could be your cloud data warehouse or your cloud data lake or your lake house or, you know, whichever of those architectures you're, you're picking inside the org. But that I think is the, is the center stone in some ways. Then there's transformation. How do you take, you know, how do you go from rod to like, you know, bronze, silver, gold, and, and so on. So that's the third layer that I'd say. And then the final is what I call the application layer. That's where I would say the BI tools sit. And then depending on whether you're a data science organization, maybe some data science tooling like Jupyter, for example, sits. I'd say that's, in my mind, what forms the core data stack. It's at that point that I think once you have the data stack or the, or the basic data, data stack, which is like, say, these three or four tools, there's a bunch of others that I'm not mentioning, but this is like, you know, minimum viable <laughs> data yeah. platform. Uh, I think it's at that point that tools like Atlan start becoming helpful, where we say, hey, we're building that like metadata governance plane in some ways for your, for your data stack. So a great for us, for example, a typical customer who brings us in has implemented something like a Snowflake or a Databricks or a, you know, AWS data platform in the last, say, you know, 12 or 18 months, you know, they already have set up their initial BI. Like they've solved some of those like initial problems with data. And that's when they're, that's when collaboration chaos becomes a reality. That's when, you know, they start realizing they've, you know, hey, we hired like, you know, the first few sets of analysts, but 
hey, like my new analysts are not productive at all because they don't know what, you know, what data they should be using and things like that. And those problems start becoming, becoming mm-hmm. real. Is there a minimum size of a team that you have observed that usually exists when Atlant becomes relevant? So we typically see that somewhere in the, you know, when your data team is in sort of that 10 member team mm-hmm. size is where it, it starts becoming, where the problem starts becoming a real pain. Like that's when, you know, you're dealing with like, you know, a, a really sizable chunk of your data team, like over 50% of your time is actually probably being spent on issues like this. Interestingly, we also see a bunch of data leaders, which is, I think, which is interesting now because you actually have people who worked in like larger teams who, who are now going in and setting up, you know, teams and like early stage startups. And some of the things we actually hear now, and we have like teams actually that are starting out with Atlan much earlier, because we've started seeing data leaders say, hey, like we've gone through the chaos of not implementing this and mm-hmm. then having to figure this out at a later stage. And we know how painful it is. And so we just want to get it right from day zero. Like we don't want to like go, we don't want to have to fix our problems when we grow. And so we do definitely see earlier stage teams starting to adopt a lot of the practices that we recommend. So for example, we talk about things like, how do you think about your data assets as data products? And, and what does that mean? Like, how do you create shipping standards on day zero? Mm-hmm. How do you create a documentation for culture on day zero? Like these are all things that, that, you know, we think about as practices inside the team. And we're starting to see people actually adopt this almost at day zero rather than necessarily wait till the problem becomes a real pain. Yeah. I, I have a question on that, Prakala, because in an ideal world, all of us working in data would love if companies were constantly looking six months ahead and you know were implementing processes and tools that would make their future data stack and data team operate more easily. But in the real world for most companies, especially as you're scaling and dealing with data and putting out fires and you know adding that one number to the dashboard, it's really hard to anticipate you know, what things are going to be like in the future. So I'd love to hear you speak to someone who says, okay, I'm already experiencing that pain, right? Like we have a pretty robust data team and stack. You know, we have, you know, a data science machine learning practice, you know, or starting that journey. So if you do have to go back and sort of solve the pain after things have become, you know, reached a tipping point, where do you start? Like which discipline do you start with within your definition of data ops, right? Is it, because I mean, there's so many things, right? It's like, okay, do we start with governance or do you need to solve cataloging before that? Or, you know, lineage, there are multiple components of this that Atlan solves, but what's the, what's the starting point? So I think the best way to think about this in some ways is, is what I think of as the journey that a data team actually will take, right? And people bring athletes in at different points in their journey. That depends on how they think about agility and how forward thinking they are and how much they think for their in advance. And that's different, right? Different teams like operate differently. But for example, the way I think about it is, you know, when you've just started your, your data team, let's say your data team is, is pretty early, it's pretty small team, The first set of problems that you're probably going to start solving are things like pretty simple things, right? So it's going to be things like, can we, do we all agree on the same metric definitions? Uh, and how do we measure the metrics that were, you know, it, it's going to start there. And then 
you're mainly focused on, you know, when you're that early stage data team at that startup, you're mainly focused on saying, how do I help my business users or my business stakeholders starting to trust the data, starting to trust me, <laughs> starting to trust that they should make data-driven decisions, you know, like those kinds of things. That's where you're starting. Very quickly, what starts happening is that people actually start relying on the data team and start sending service. Like I think of this as service requests to the data team, right? So you start out with like maybe helping out in the monthly, the monthly business review and the quarterly business review, a bunch of requests start coming to you now, a bunch of ad hoc requests, data team, early data team says, okay, we can't handle this anymore. We need to hire new people. This is when your data team starts growing. And at that point, I think the biggest challenge that data teams have is productivity. It's really hard to get new analysts up to speed. Typical average time that an analyst stays in an organization is like today, 18 months. And you're spending six months onboarding a person in some ways in that time, right? And so there's, I think the biggest challenge you start facing is like analyst productivity as your, or, or, you know, this is also true for like data scientists, productivity, basically any, you know, data consumer productivity in some ways. And that's where you want to start solving these problems. So that's where things like data discovery, data lineage, you know, context or tribal knowledge around your data, so data documentation, these start becoming a, a reality and investing in that becomes super important. Now, there's a point where this so even if you improve the productivity of your data team and things like that, you know, hopefully your data team is, is doing much better. The reality is that the request that your data team is going to get is always going to be much, much more. The demand is going to be much, much more than no matter how hard you try that you can scale your data team size. Because the reality is that, you know, it, you, know you can only scale your data team linearly and it's, it's likely that you're going to start getting exponential requests. So... That's sort of the time where we see that, you know, data teams go from almost this mindset change of having to stop building data services to almost a data product mindset in some ways, where if you think about the difference between services and product, services, you're servicing a single request, product, you're basically building something scalable that everybody can use or like a, a good chunk of users can use. Uh, and so it, it takes a little bit of upfront investment on Daisy, but, you know, as you go along the way, you know, over time, you're actually reducing a ton of the repetitive requests that your team is getting, which is saving you a ton of time so that you can actually build new things. At that time, you know, the priorities start becoming a little different for, for data teams, right? And so that's where we start seeing people say, you know, how do I start looking at insights as an asset or queries as an asset or a product in, in Atlan? This is where, you know, you start saying, for example, we actually have a ton of, so so there are two ways you can use Atlan. Like one is the Atlan, you know, UI and interface itself. Uh, but Atlan also has a ton of APIs and apps that you can build on top of Atlan, which you can connect into your CI CD pipelines, which you can connect into your, you know, your downstream tools, which could be your BI tools and, and so on and so forth. And so that's where we start seeing people leverage a bunch of those kinds of, of capabilities. And then the final layer uh, is starting to truly create that self-service environment, right? Like the holy grail that every data person wants is that, you know, we are just able to like truly enable self-service in our organization. And at that point, you're actually starting to expose uh, a bunch of your data products to your end users or your business users directly. And at that point is where things like governance start becoming a reality. Like I always think about this, like democratization as, as much as it's a buzzword, like democratization and governance are, are you know, they're, they're two sides of the same coin, right? The more people are getting access to the data, the more you're starting to think, who's accessing my data? 
are the right people accessing my data pii like those kinds of things start becoming a reality and so i i sort of see this as a journey and the question really sort of comes down to where you are in this journey so for example teams that adopt us much later in their cycle in some ways when they're a much larger team for example governance is a priority on day zero itself because of just where they are in their journey sure. uh, versus you know if you're a much earlier stage team you know you're like five people you know and you're thinking about you know access control and security you know that that's super unlikely right and so i think that's that's the way we think about it yeah it makes total sense sorry eric but we need to i have a question that i pretty much have it like from the beginning but i think now is the right time to ask that go for oh. it yeah so we are talking a lot about enabling collaboration and like healthy collaboration between people blah, 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 like all these things uh, we're talking about the data stack you gave like a very good description of the complexity of a data stack even the minimum viable let's say data stack right like it has many moving parts there so i wonder in order like to build to build a platform like atlam you need to be able also on a technology level to collaborate with all these different parts of the data stack right like you need somehow to interact with them pull some metadata and i'd like to talk more about that a little bit later how do you do that considering that Obviously, it's part of the data stack right now, and it's vendor. They only care about their own problems, right? Like, I don't think that the first thing they think about is how we are going to expose metadata or like APIs or whatever, like to tools like yours. So, how does this work, and how much of a challenge it is today? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we're actually doing a decent job as a community today in exposing tools. Do a pretty decent job of making it possible for you to get metadata out of the tools mm-hmm. so this is not true for the fringe tools in the ecosystem where the use case is not as as elaborate right but for the main tools in the ecosystem it's actually okay uh, mm-hmm. the thing is you might have to do some work on top of that to make that metadata useful that's a different thing and that's what like products like us focus on right in some ways i think the true challenge is not the integration point as much as it's the diversity of the integration points mm-hmm. the truth in the data ecosystem is that the data stack is also evolving yeah. so if the data stack was just these are the 100 tools in the data stack and it's going to be these 100 tools for the next 5 years that would be awesome but you know and a relatively you know simpler problem to solve but you know what like i never thought i would be hearing about firebolt even like a year ago Yeah. but you know now you hear about it right and and you know and and i think the data stack is changing so often and there are new tools getting added to the ecosystem and that is going to continue to happen yeah uh, change in fact i think after diversity the only reality in data is change <laughs> and so then you need to be able to be as for us for example as a platform we need to be truly agile to be able to actually support these integration points because if you want to be the true collaboration layer the only way we can do it is by supporting these integration points so that's why for example the way we so we turned that into a feature rather than a bug so the way we thought about it is uh, we actually atlens built on behind the scenes uh, what we call a open marketplace which basically means that customers can actually build these apps on top of atlen which allow you to actually build integration points integration points not just into you know the tools that we're pulling in metadata from but also integration points into collaboration workflows 
and downstream tools that you want to integrate into, right? So for example, if a team has a specific workflow that they use on Jira and they want to build a metadata orchestration workflow of it, they're able to do that on Atlin as well. So, and that's the way we think about the, 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 the role we play in the stack in some ways. Yeah. Okay. And I know we don't have that much time left, which is a good thing. It means that we need to arrange another episode at some point to keep keep chatting on that stuff. But before we reach the end uh, of our episode today, let's talk about the metadata plane. Usually you, I mean, the, the, the two main terms that we listen is like the control plane and the data plane. And suddenly we introduce a new term, which is the metadata plane. So what is this metadata plane? And what, what is a piece of metadata? Like if you could give us like an example from like a BI tool or something like a data warehouse, like that would be amazing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so let's like start at like what what metadata is, itself is, right? And I think the, the simplest way of describing it is, is data about data in some ways, right? And what that means is, you know, every one of your your tools is generating data assets and there is context that is created about each of these data assets. So let's pick, for example, in your BI tools, you have uh, context about usage, right? Which of these BI tools are getting used the most? Which of these dashboards that you're building are getting used the most? At what time? By which users? That's metadata. Which data source or which table in Snowflake is connected to this dashboard, right? That's metadata. In your data warehouse tool, right? Like your query, like you can use your query logs to actually figure out, you know, in some ways lineage and how these, how different tables are connected to each other. Like that's metadata. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those like in your pipeline or your orchestration engine, you know, you have metadata about uh, what time was the pipeline updated, right? Like, and that's metadata. So I think the way I think about it is like metadata could be technical, metadata could could be social. It could also be about, you know, who's using what, when, where, about usage, you know, things like that. And the more you're able to bring in, you know, right from, you know, the standard forms of metadata is all the technical stuff, you know, you're able to bring it in and marry it in with more and more types of metadata. Uh, That's really where you're able to sort of create. I think about this as almost uh, like, a single, a single plane for all your metadata, right? In the ecosystem. Like there was a world where, you know, we used to like the same thing that happened with the data lake, actually. Right? We used to like, there was a time where we like, you know, the big data world back in the day, we were bringing data from a bunch of different places to put it, dump it into the data lake in some ways to say, hey, you know what, like, we don't know what the countless use cases of this is going to look like, but, you know, we know that this is valuable and we can talk about, you know, of course, the implementation hurdles and the issues that had happened. But like, if you think about from the fundamental concept level, metadata also has a ton of different use cases. I think we've just scratched the surface of what those use cases could look like today. Today, in an ecosystem, we are talking about data discovery or data lineage or data observability. Like these are just one or two or three use cases of what metadata can do. In the future, you could be using metadata to auto-tune your data pipelines. You could be using metadata to actually cost optimize your entire data management ecosystem. There's a ton of different use cases of what metadata can do. Uh, and so the way I think about the metadata plane is it's sort of this, I, I think the metadata plane is the foundation to the control plane, to be honest, right? Like I think to bring in all of your metadata, 
uh, and then you're using it to drive these use cases governance and security and and you know catalogs and discovery are are some of them but then there's a ton of other newer intelligent operational kinds of metadata use cases uh, that that are still remaining to be discovered in many ways so interesting well we are close to time here but i have one more question for you and we like to get advice uh, from our guests and i think one really interesting experience that you've had is tackling these massive data problems with you know multiple different types of data so going back to the beginning of our conversation where we talked about you know clean gas and how that included you know geospatial data and economic data what what are maybe one or two of the lessons you learned when trying to face a big you know sort of crazy data problem like that 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 our listeners could learn from that's a great question so i'd say a couple of things i think one that and this this comes back to for me and maybe this is the same battle this is probably why i'm building atlin today right but to me i think it really just comes down to the team and the culture mm-hmm. i think that is the most important thing in being able to crack the most difficult data problems like for example in that team that i was telling you about the the clean cooking gas like you know and and you know i i honestly think we were probably the only like i have not heard of a problem like that being cracked that way like it took us multiple iterations three months actually to get there and the the reason i think we were able to do it right like even fundamentally think about how do you think about accessibility versus profitability it sounds today like when you hear it like simple but it was not like when you're really like you know trying to figure out how to sure. do this the first time in the world it was not and we had a we had a development economist in the room we had a, a data engineer in the room we had a project manager who came from a political background in the room we had all these very very diverse people in the room and i think that enabled us to actually sort of rethink the problem from first principles in a way that a standard mm. team that would just have had maybe analysts or just have had data like a single kind of persona would not have been able to think about that problem and i think so that diversity is very very important like for example again i go back to that example we actually had a solution that had been signed off by our client where it was not the ideal solution but it was like you know it was a top down way of allocating there, there are multiple ways to solve a data science problem right it was a top down way of allocating where these gas centers which districts they should go get opened in and we we still felt like it wasn't solving the access problem we felt mm. it solved the profitability problem but it wasn't solving the access problem and so literally 3 days before the final presentation to the cabinet minister i remember my, my co-founder and i were in the room and my co-founder basically like listens to the problem and then he's like hey like so wait this is not a profitability problem this is a this is actually an accessibility this is a distance problem so why are we not thinking about it from a geospatial perspective why are we mm. thinking about it and so we actually flipped the entire solution in like two or three days and that wouldn't have happened if we didn't have the diversity in the room and so i think that to me is the most important thing and so data mm. leaders should really strive to find a way to build diverse teams and help them work together i think the second aspect of that is trust the problem with diversity is it's really hard to build trust in teams mm-hmm. when a number on a dashboard going back to the number on the dashboard breaking and i know we we laugh about it a lot in the data space but 
the reality is that at that moment when when the cabinet minister called me and said the number on the dashboard is broken i couldn't answer his question as to why the number on the dashboard was broken at some level the hard on trust that i had built with him broke at the same time when i called my data engineer and he said i'm going to pull audit logs and check at some level i didn't know if the problem was that the pipeline really broke or if my data engineer was messing up yeah and trust broke again and this creates trust deficit in in diverse teams in most of the teams sales leader started out as a sales rep everybody does the same job in the team everybody has clarity that's not the case in a data team and so the second mm-hmm. most important thing to build in a data team to make it successful is how do you build an ecosystem of trust how do you help people trust each other how do you help people trust the data that they're working with i think that's the second most important thing that i would invest in as a data leader incredibly wise advice and we thank you so much for that prukalpa and thank you for your time today it was a great conversation thank you so much for having me this was a lot of fun my big takeaway you know i just appreciate we covered a bunch of topics but i appreciate that uh prukalpa returned to a theme that we've heard on the show multiple times and it was so great to see her kind of think through all of her experiences with data building a data ops platform and what she went back to as the most important thing in solving data problems as a team mm-hmm. and i really appreciated how she said diversity is so important to have on a team that's solving a data problem but it also makes the trust component difficult because you have because you have that diversity right and people are coming from different backgrounds and skill sets and have different you know responsibilities as stakeholders in the in the in the project so that was just a really that's one of those things where like we i think kind of have all heard and you know know in the back of our mind but to hear it articulated like that is always a great reminder yeah 100% like if you think about it like th- think about that like when we when you build a company and like you build the product you build the product for a very specific persona right like you have only one persona to keep in your mind and even that is like super hard like yeah. figuring out how to satisfy this one persona now if you get in the shoes of a data professional like analyst data engineer whatever like whoever is like a member of this data team like these teams have as customers all the different departments and functions that the company has right So they have to satisfy by delivering services or products all these different personas and that's exponentially harder to do and of course you need trust like without trust like you can't build anything right so yeah i think that was probably like one of the most important like topics that we touched during this conversation and we don't usually talk that much about that when we talk about uh, data and the technologies around it but we should spend more time i agree i agree well thanks again for joining us and we will catch you on the next episode we hope you enjoyed this episode of the data stack show be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get notified about new episodes every week we'd also love your feedback you can email me eric dodds at eric at datastackshow.com that's e r i c at datastackshow.com. The show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. Learn how to build a CDP on your data warehouse at rudderstack.com.